Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Traveling Violation, the podcast. I'm going to be quick with the intros because I want to go ahead and get into this pretty quickly. We've got our relative Celtics fan, Andrew, here to get some things off of his chest. Uh, but introducing Andrew, Andrew Friedman. You can follow him everywhere at AFriedman21. That's AFriedman21. You can follow Anthony Patterson. Anthony Patterson, excuse me, at ANFPAT underscore on all social medias. That's ANFPAT underscore on all social medias. And as always, I'm your host, Xavier Trish, and you can follow me everywhere at Xavier underscore Trish on all social medias. Andrew, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go. We're, we're not even going to get into all the cordial stuff about game five. I'm not going to break down no stats. I'm not going to bring up no numbers. <laughs> Andrew, I'm going to let you go. And in Andrew's corner, you know, you know what I'm saying? A little Jim Rome is burning moment for Andrew. Go ahead. Get, get, get what you need to get off your chest. Uh, we, you know, we know it was a very emotional night for you, my brother. It was. Um, <clears throat> Jim, as always, it's a pleasure. Um, last night sucked. Uh, for those of you who are Celtics fans, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Last night absolutely sucked because you watched the team that was lifeless for the first 24 minutes of a game, only score 39 points. They come out into the third quarter, they come out of the second half. I don't know what Emil Dokel said, but whatever he said lit a fire in their fucking asses. And these guys were playing really well. Jason Tatum hit a couple threes, and you start to think, shit, maybe this is the game where he goes for 40 in the series. No, it wasn't that. And it's just, it. What blows my mind, too, is that you look at all the stats, and the biggest one to me that stands out, and I kind of talked about it, um, or I have been talking about it with you guys and with others as well. The Celtics missed 10 free throws. We're talking about consistently over the last 5, 10 years, one of the better free throw shooting teams in the league, one of the more disciplined teams between Brad Stevens, um, between Brad Stevens and just uh, Emil Doka this year as well. This is a team that shot 67% from the line. Um, they haven't done that in a while. <laughs> uh, they were 21 of 31. If they make those free throws, this is probably this is probably a win for them. They're probably up three to two going home in game six. Um, one of the more sloppy games, I mean, Xavier and I have been, Xavier, Anthony, and I, actually, we've all been pretty adamant about it. We know what Jalen Brown's going to give you. Um, he he and Al Horford were a game worse or uh, a game low, I should say, minus nineteen on the floor. Jalen Brown played forty four minutes. Uh, Jason Tatum played forty four minutes as well. If I remember correctly, the, they played the last thirty nine to forty minutes of last night's game. Something ridiculous because they both got first quarter rest, and then Udoka didn't want to risk it anymore. Um, it was almost as if it was game seven, and you had nothing to lose. Uh, in terms of how much she was playing them. Um, but by the time they got to the fourth quarter, they were absolutely exhausted. And I think that this is one thing that we're going to talk about for sure. But these guys, um, you could tell that these guys had been working a lot in this series. And it was just tough. Um, but you know what? Game six in Boston, I think that the crowd's going to come out, be absolutely, abs- absolutely just. Um, high off their minds in terms of energy, adrenaline. Um, I hope Draymond Green's entire family is there as well because we love them, obviously. Uh, fellas, I'll um, I'll keep it brief, though. I'll throw it back to you guys. No, I mean, I, I think I echoed the sentiments of, you know, Bill Simmons and his most recent podcast, the title, 
the Celtics just blow the NBA Finals. I mean, I think that's the feeling after watching yes. last night's performance. Yes. I think that's the feeling after watching, I mean, hell, this entire playoffs for Boston, where you feel like when they have a grasp on a team, they themselves throw it away. Yep. And more times than not, I've, I've watching this finals, I've come to the conclusion that the Celtics are a team that just beats themselves. Yep. And when they don't, they're unstoppable. But when they do, there's nothing they can do about it. They get in their own way more than any team, I think, beats them in the NBA right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think, you know, that's coming back to bite them. You know, you talk about the missed free throws. You talk about the 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 16 turnovers, if I'm not mistaken. You talk about 18 turnovers, 18 turnovers. Right. You know, you, you talk about the, the, the ISO ball. You take talk about the terrible contested shots. You talk about the lack of player movement in the fourth quarter, which seems to be a consistent issue with this roster all postseason, not just this one, not just this one game. You talk about a team that more times than not finds itself in a fourth quarter battle where there probably shouldn't be a battle in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you talk about a team that started off 26 to 12 in the first quarter, you know, and just didn't have a pulse. Jason Tatum didn't even take a shot in the first quarter, you know, be, or, or excuse me, the first half of the first quarter, you know, and, you know, you really look at this roster and you think about it genuinely and you, you look down the, the list and you go, there's no way realistically, I think the Warriors should be in this series. I mean, Steph, for all of what he has done, has had zero help up until game five. And the one game he actually does get substantial help from Clay, from Andrew Wiggins, from Gary Payton, from Jordan Poole, all of which have 14 plus points. He himself was complete garbage. I mean, just at some points offensively, you felt like Curry just was going to shoot them out of the game. And I, I know it's crazy to say that to an extent because it's Curry and, you know, he could shut you up and go, you know, hit four threes in a row all of a sudden. But it all it just felt like he didn't have it, and you could tell that Boston knew he didn't have it, but you still stuck to your original defensive game plan. Yes. And, and that, for me, to an extent, has been an, awesome, an, an issue that I've found in this series that I, I, I just can't wrap my head around. I don't know if it's youth. I don't know if it's, if it's anything else. But it's been the fact that when Ime decides on the defense pregame, y'all running into the ground, regardless of if it's working or not. You know, in games one and two, you know, or it's game one, you went to a drop coverage, Curry killed it. You know, you stuck, stayed in it. You went back to that same drop coverage in game four when he had 43. And it just feels, you know, in games two and three, you went to pure switching, so you switched everything. And then last night, you go to double-teaming and triple-teaming Curry. And we had talked earlier in the series, Andrew, that I felt like that was probably the worst defense you could run against Curry because people feel like Curry – people forget Curry's a point guard. At the end of the day, this isn't Embiid. This isn't Bam Adebayo. This isn't even Jimmy Butler where you can double-team and triple-team a guy and he's going to throw you six, seven turnovers, right? This isn't even Giannis, right? And as great as Giannis was – in that Buck series, he still averaged four and a half turnovers a game because of the double teaming and the extra help that you guys were providing. Mm-hmm. Curry's not that kind of guy. Curry last night had eight assists, one turnover, looked really good in, in orchestrating the offense when he needed to, when he needed to, and he made the correct passes when he needed to. He didn't make him all the time, but he found Gary Payton on some of those double team slips that he was wide open at the basket. Right? He found players where they needed to be because at the end of the day, Curry, for all of what he's able to do offensively, is still a point guard. Um, but no, I'm, I'm you know, I, and, I, and I'll, I'll leave it off there because obviously we've got more to talk about. But uh, Anthony, as, as far as last night is concerned, and, and I asked that kind of, I asked the question of Bill Simmons' title, 
do you think the Celtics just blew the NBA Finals? You're muted, my boy. Man, yeah. Um, to keep it short, I mean, I, I mean, I don't even know where to start with this. I mean, maybe we could start when the Celtics went on a hot streak after starting off slow, couldn't make a three-point. They went what eight for eight, and they increased their lead up to almost. I, I can't remember. I, I think it was like eight, seven, but they were on a roll. It just seemed that they were in control of the game. And then all of a sudden, they lose control of the game. And it's like, you, you can't really get, you give credit to awards for doing this, but it's like, it was a lot of self-inflicting mistakes. I mean, what stood out to me in this game was, was with Marcus Smart and him picking up that technical and him being frustrated by the referees and just not being smart, no pun intended, but just not being smart about the situation in the game. Like, you're giving a team that you have in control more life. And I felt, honestly, that was the tipping point of the game because after that point, it just seemed like the Warriors just went on one of the runs. They were unstoppable, and they just weren't going to lose the game. Um and it's like you're not taking advantage of Steph. We just talked about Stephen Curry and his serious play. But for me, we're talking about this game. It's like this is the first game he did not make a three-pointer. He went 0 for 9. Well, the first time in his uh, playoff career where he didn't. Playoff career that he did make a three-pointer. 283 and, games in a row. And you would think, you would think, if he played that poorly, if he had that bad of a night, and yeah, I think, what was it, 16 points? I think, um, however many shots. Points on seven of he said what? 16 points on 7 of 22. You're right. So you think if he had that on that very inefficient of a stat line, you would think, okay, they take advantage of that night. They win. Now, don't get me wrong. Again, we give credit to Andrew Wiggins, which I'm sure Xavier and shout out to Marquise because I know he's fitting the – Push this propaganda about Andrew Wiggins. You know it. But it's like, if you're looking at this, you're thinking, okay, they're taking that advantage. The defense is work. You know, Celtics probably going back home to close it out in six and possibly seven. But it's like, they're not capitalizing on these things. And now it's at a point where, and we're not even talking about Clay Thompson. It's like, yes. In a way, his numbers and stuff may still seem the same, but it's like when you watch him play, it's still not that clay, but it's like he has moments. And you have to think for the next two games, is that going to be the same clay that you're getting in game six and seven? You know, it, it just, it's hard to maximize your chances when you're getting these opportunities that to hope that they last for so long. Um and game fives tend to be a pivotal point in the season. So um, if the Celtics lose this series, I think you would say they blew it because the opportunities were there. The Warriors were just, you know, the typical Warriors we've seen. I mean, oh, also, one other thing, and I'll pass it along. You know, the Warriors are great in third quarters, and they didn't have such a great third quarter last night. That was another thing that stood out to me. And – they capital. They seen that they were going to capitalize on it because they started getting hot. They made shots. 
but they didn't continue to build and eventually make it harder for the Warriors to get back in the game. I mean, you look at all these things, guys. I I don't know how many more opportunities they're going to get. I mean, you got two more games. You got two more games. The Warriors need one. You have to really, really – now it's, it's really not do or die because you're on the brink of elimination. So, Yeah, and that's, I think, something I took away from this game, and especially in the press conferences and – Shout out to NBA TV for consistently running their press conferences over and over and over and over. With quality audio. Yeah. Oh, with amazing audio. I, I appreciate you know, it. You know about the conversation we had like 10 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. I appreciate that. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I I think even Boston to an extent, and this is something that, you know, obviously if Boston comes back and wins the series, I'll be, you know, remiss to say. I, I just feel like they've exhausted all options in some respect. I just feel I just like they've – They've exhausted a ton of the options in which they have. How many more defenses are they going to show Curry? I feel like you've showed them all for the most part. I mean, hell, Anthony, they can hop in the old traditional high school boxing one. I mean, if they really, you know what I'm saying? If they really want to, you know, they really haven't, you know, they haven't shown zone in this series. But, I mean, that's not Emei's style. Emei's not a zone guy. I don't know how, you know, the percentage of what Boston has run zone in this season. But I can, I feel like they would have been in the bottom tier of the NBA in zone usage, right? So I just feel like this is a team, especially, you know, I feel like this is a team that to an extent has exhausted all their options. And I feel like on the flip side, the Warriors just, just are figuring them out a little bit. I feel like the Warriors are like the old head who plays with you like all day long. And as the day progresses, he gets better. And all of a sudden, the things you were getting away with in the first, you know, three or four games y'all were playing, you're just not getting away with anymore. Right, like your athleticism, your speed, all that stuff just isn't working like it did in games one and two. Now all of a sudden he's making sure that you have to go left. Shout out to Jalen Brown. He's making sure that Jason Tatum is always seeing at least two. He's making sure that Marcus Smart is getting open on the catch, but is not being given the driving angles. So he's being forced to either take a contested three or you know dribble out of it. So you know they're they're okay with that. Like they're okay with Marcus catching it from the three point line just not get, having a, uh, an open driving lane. Clay Thompson ha- in the last two games has actually looked like a competent defender against Jalen Brown. Like, all of a sudden, these old heads are starting to figure out what you want to do and how you want to get to the basket. And they're like, nah, we're good. And on the flip side, Steve Kerr is starting to figure out his rotations a little bit more, right? And game you know, game four, he decided to start with a small lineup with Otto Porter. He did it again in game five, allowing, allowing Kemal Looney to come off the bench and, you know, Margin, you know, uh, maximize his minutes and his usage as well, which I want yeah. I, I want to get to him after you're done. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, like, you know, you just saw some of the things that we 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 seen statistically, right? Like Jason Tatum taking the hardest shots in basketball all year long is coming back to bite him in the butt a little bit. Jalen Brown is being forced to take contested 15 footers consistently, right? They've figured out that Robert Williams on defense, if you don't come to the basket, doesn't want to move. And if you can get him on a switch, in the case of uh, of Andrew Wiggins getting him on a switch, he feels comfortable going up against Robert Williams or Al Horford. You know, uh, to, to, so much to the point, and, I, and I'll let you go, Andrew, that I know we all saw with about three minutes to go in the game last night, Emay went to a complete small ball lineup. Yep. No Al, no Robert Williams. And I, and I, I put it in the group chat, I felt like Andrew Wiggins' ability to get to the basket or get to, you know, that, that eight to ten foot range, 
made them not made Robert Williams and Al Horford non-existent because he was just getting there at will. And there was so much and there was more paint penetration than they would have liked because he was able to get there, get to his spot, that little that little push floater from about eight feet. And he was hitting. it. And so, Andrew, I'm uh, Andrew, I'm, I'm, I'm passing off to you. I just feel like when I look at Boston, the options have been exhausted at this point. I don't think they have because I don't think that we've seen this team truly be comfortable um, running set plays. I mean, there were multiple times last night where the Celtics, they came out, I want to say in those first six minutes, very early in the first quarter, they were already up to five turnovers. Um, 18 assists and 18 turnovers. We're talking about one of the most disciplined teams in terms of uh, ball movement as a we're talking about one of the best teams in terms of ball movement all season long. And they had just as many assists as they did turnovers. Um, Jalen Brown had five. Jason Tatum had four. Marcus Smart had four. <clears throat> um, there's There have been a lot of things that have frustrated me, obviously. The big one is that they are getting – anytime they're bringing the ball up, whether it's Tatum, whether it's Smart, whether it's Jalen, um, they're getting the switch onto Curry, and they keep deferring. They keep moving it away from the weaker defender. And we saw what happened when they did attack the weaker defender in game three. It is why It's why the Celtics were so successful, and it's why they had a 2-1 lead is because they took their time, they were patient, and they were able to find the matchup that benefited that benefit them the most. And then these last two games, yes, we've seen a lot of great looks from the Warriors. Um, Xavier, as you mentioned, the Warriors have also figured the Celtics out on offense. But I think the Celtics figured out, to a degree, the Celtics also figured out the Warriors too on that end, where when anyone's coming down, it, it, going back to game three, you saw Ime Odoka and that entire coaching staff say, hey, wait a second, let's just clear up the entire half of this court, the entire half, and let's just let our best offensive player go to work because he has eight inches on Steph. He has 50 pounds on Steph. He has 50 pounds on Steph. There's no way why you can't get him inside. Bring Al Horford out. Bring him out first screen. Post him up. It worked. It has worked, and they're not going back to that ways, and it's just frustrating because, and yes, it's obviously – a lot easier to say than to do because there's so many moving parts in the basketball game, especially someone that has this high stakes. But I don't think that, I mean, it's obvious. We have not seen the Celtics play their best game yet. And we haven't seen the Warriors play their best game yet either. Um, 104 points last night is not a lot, especially when you consider that at one point, this team missed 12, 13 straight threes, I believe it was. And then Clay. Uh, Clay got one to go, and the crowd was in it from the get-go. Um, I think that was midway through the second, maybe the third quarter. Um, but after that, it was just a struggle for sure for them to stop anything that the Warriors were doing. Um, I, I mean, we're also talking about a very um, – when we bring up the offensive and defensive schemes, I think it's really um, essential that we also mention that the Warriors had 23 assists last night and only six turnovers, um, two of which were by Draymond. 
and Steph and Clay each had one, and then a couple guys off the bench. Um, but I mean, I think that as much as as well as the Warriors played last night, that was not their best game. Um, and I think that's going to be really important for the Celtics to expose those matchups on defense and say, "Hey, listen, let's just find a weaker defender. Let's um, let's find a weaker defender. Let's go to that, and let's just keep attacking until." It stops working. I mean, you've had Draymond Green foul in three games now. He's supposed to be an elite defender. The weaker defenders are going to be even worse. Go after them. Um, but and like I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, Xavier, when you were talking, um, none of people are talking about Gary Payton. I, um, I mean, I think that this is all a discussion that we could have for sure. This guy's been one of the best stories in the league all season. Like, guy had 15 last night in an NBA Finals game and was one of the most important players on that team. He was at, like, it's just, it's, it's been stressful for sure because you see all these, um, all these guys on the Warriors who are stepping up and who are finding this newfound confidence. And you're just waiting for the Celtics to have that game where, they have all seven of their guys really locked in, really connected, and you're just waiting for one of those fuck you games from that entire team. Yeah, I mean, and, and Anthony, I'll let you go in just a second um, because I think I think you have some really good points, Andrew, that I just want to hit on really quickly. Is that it's, my biggest concern is, and this is something I talked about after game one, is that you got the fuck you game from the role players. You got it. You got the, the Al 20. The Derek White 20, the Marcus 20, right? Like, you got the game. You got what the Warriors just got in game five. And I, and I said this in, in not our group chat, but in another group chat with another friend of mine who's a Celtics fan. Uh, shout out, Kirk. But I said, I said, listen, that's great that you got it in game one, but will they show up for the rest of the series? Mm-hmm. And they have it. They, 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 even in the win that you all had, they have it. You know, Derek White. Since that barrage in game one has been steady, but hasn't been great, right? 20, he had 21 in game one, 12, 7, 16, and last night had one point, right? You look at Al Horford. 21 minutes, mind you. Right. I mean, all these are 21 minutes, right? Al Horford, game one, 26. Since then, 2, 11, 8, 9. You know? And we can even talk about Marcus Smart, who I think, you know, to, to Anthony's credit, might be the guy who. If the if the if the Celtics were up, would be getting a lot of the praises because he's been your second best player for large stretches of some yep. of these games. Absolutely, you know, game one had eighteen, had a, had an abysmal game two, but since then game three twenty four, game four eighteen, and last night game five twenty. You know, and, and you just feel like his impact would be shown more if the Celtics obviously were winning games. But Anthony, I'll let you go. <sighs> Man. I guess we can start with, you know, yeah, Gary Payton is definitely one of the um, key fears for the Warriors. I mean, his story is just like any other. What? Four NBA teams, five G League teams, just not getting out with the Warriors. I mean, you talk about a guy that it wasn't supposed to work out for the Warriors, so he was going to get a job as video coordinator just so he could be around the team. I mean, if that is so hard. I didn't know that story. I did not know that story. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I did not know that. I was like, I, I was listening to the con. I was listening to Breen. I was like, that's really interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, I, I didn't know it. Uh, I think, you know, I want to credit the person that told the story because I know ESPN told it, but I think somebody actually wrote about it. I just can't remember the name. I'll look it up after this podcast or during if I can. But um, yeah, like the hard work and dedication that he wanted to be in the NBA and play for the team was there. And then, you know, it just happens to work out. Now he's there again. Then you talk about a guy that came back from injury um, in that Memphis series. A lot of people thought, you know, he was just going to be out the rest of the playoffs because mm-hmm. of how bad the injury was and everything. I mean, what he has been for this Warriors team is so critical. You know, yeah. he's a defensive guy. He's a slasher. He's going to do – He's going to do the dirty work. A lot of what Draymond does for the Warriors, he's going to be the defensive guy. I mean, shout out shout out to his dad, Garrett Payton, because he actually got defensive skills from his dad. I know they call him the mitten, but the guy's really just been playing so well. So him being that addition for the Warriors team has just been so helpful. And to be honest, I don't know how this Warriors team looks without him in the finals. Um. The second thing is exhausted all options. I think one thing is the Celtics may seem overwhelmed. Could that be catching up with them because they played in two game sevens, they play longer and whatnot? It's possible. Exhausted all options, I'm not sure yet because we just talked about, you know, maybe you go through um box or if you go into a zone you know you try something different to throw the warriors off so i think there are options there i think it's more so of are they feasible options meaning are they really good options that will work i think only time will tell with that um legit don't don't know but i think if you're saying if we haven't exhausted the best options that you probably would want to at this point in the series I would say, yeah, they have, but they have more options and they have, you know, time is ticking, but they have one more game and possibly two if they can get it right. So, um, but they, one thing, I mean, it's it's a broken record. We talk, we all, all three of us talk about this. For them to continue to be successful and just have, these games where they're not in these situations, they have to take care of the ball better. Like, we could talk about, you know, touches for Jalen Brown versus Jason Tatum and, you know, the role players stepping up and vice versa. But it's like, why is it that in the second half of games when we watch the Celtics, like, all of a sudden they're playing so good, then – Jalen Brown, for some reason, just loses the basketball. Like, I don't know if his hands get slippery, his butt fingers, oily. Like, I don't know. Like, it just, like, it just, it like, it just happens and it just makes you baffled. Then with Jason Tatum, it's like he's not decisive enough. And it's like, we, I mean, we talked about this the last podcast. Again, good, good credit to Gary Payton the second, but it's like, you got him in a post. Are you just going to rise up and shoot? 
or are you going to attack the basket and kick? Like, that's what, you know, when I talk to you guys about basketball being a simple game, you can't overthink things. You have to just know what you want to do because if one thing happens, you have, you know, you basically have one or two options to do it. But Jason Tatum, it's like he goes and it's just his mind's everywhere. Like, I remember it's one possession. He's attacking the rim, and it's like, okay, you think he's going to go up, but then he throws the ball away. Or, like, he posting up, but then all of a sudden he wants to shoot, but then he wants to drive, and then he walks. Like, you have to be decisive, and you have to cut back on those turnovers because at the end of the day, like I said, basketball is a simple game, and the more uh, – and I mean, it's simple. The more you turn the ball over – the more possessions you get to the team, the more opportunities you get to the team. And in a game like this in the finals, those opportunities and things matter. Um, and the reason we're talking about the Celtics is obvious because they're the team that's down 3-2 right now. Now, if it's the other way around and the Warriors lose this game by um, however, you know, two or three points, one or two points, you know what I go back to on that? I look at the last position in the first quarter, I believe, where they could have got three points, but they only got one because Steph Curry missed the – basically it was yep. Robert Script. Williams getting mm-hmm. the foul. And then he made the attack. attack. Yep. Steph Curry missed the technical free throw. Andrew Wiggins, who was the one that was fouled, missed the first free throw, makes the second. Like, these little things, you mm-hmm. might think, well, they're tiny, but it's like at the end of the day, the result is to win. And if we're talking everything matters, especially in this, and those little things will come back to bite you in the end. So, um, that's No, I mean, and, and you're absolutely right. And I think that's one of the things that I think has been maybe missed a lot in this series is – the minute things, right? Like I remember, and obviously, you know, game one overreactions happen with every series, but I, I, I remember oftentimes just watching the series and just being on Twitter when Boston's cooking, people are just like, Boston's better. Boston's more physically, you know, Boston's more physical. Boston's more athletic. Boston's bigger, right? It, 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 they, they very rarely hit on what Boston is doing from a non-physical standpoint as to why they're winning, Right. They're running them out of the gym. They're just younger, right? Uh, you know, the, the Warriors are too old. The Warriors can't move with these young cats, all this other stuff. And I think from the Warriors' perspective, they took that and they realized that that may have been the case, but that's okay. You can be bigger, faster, stronger than me. That doesn't mean you're going to win the ballgame. And I think at times the, the Celtics even feed into that a little bit too much. I mean, hell, how many times – and, and for as – you know, right around average as a defender as Curry has made himself into be, right? Now, he's, he's no longer the complete liability defensively that he was when he first got to the NBA. But even with that being the case, you still feel like Boston, more times than not, switches, switches on the Curry, and you're just watching Jason Tatum try to go, you know, full-on hoop mixtape as he sits there and dribbles for, you know, 10 to 15 seconds of the shot clock. Or Marcus Smart gets, you know, shifted, uh, excuse me, switched on to Kevon Looney, and he sits there and dribbles the air off the ball. Or Jalen Brown gets switched on to, you know, Clay Thompson or or whomever, or Draymond Green earlier in the series, and you just feel like he just gets the air out the, you know, dribbles the air off the ball. And uh, too many times, 
when their offense, you know, when, when they get up, they go back to relying on ISO ball. And I don't know if that's EMA thing, if that's just bad habits from what they've developed throughout their time in the NBA, what, but too many times, especially in that third and fourth quarter. And I can genuinely say that because I'm rewatching the game as we're talking too many times. It was just Tatum post turnaround on Wiggins brick mm-hmm. post fade towards the middle of the court. Miss Brown one-on-one slight help, slight hedge loses it, you know, end of the quarter right here, Brown, you know, and this was the first, it it, it was like too many times I just felt like their offense was we're bigger, we're faster, we're stronger. So we're going to get on to your smaller players and we're going to do that. We're going to be bigger. We're going to be faster. We're going to be stronger. And it's just like, that's cool. That's cute. That only is going to work so often. You've got to have something more in the tank than, you know, you're going to cook me and then I'm going to overhelp and you're going to find a role player in the corner. We're going to get wind of that. And eventually we're just going to, you know, find your weakness in that case. Right. Jalen Brown is the most, was one of the most athletic guys in the series. Guess what? Jalen Brown has a problem going left. What the Warriors do all last night? They made him go left. And it's, and it's, it's crazy to me how NBA players can have that as such a massively alarming part of their game. And I won't get too deep into it because we are talking about the series and I'm not just going to get on Jalen Brown and, and guys like him. But to, for, for a, a guy on the scouting report, for you to be able to say, if we force him left, we can force him into the amount of turnovers Jalen Brown had last night. It is quite frankly mind boggling to me how a five year, I think, I think Jalen Brown's in year, in year five, a five year NBA vet cannot go left consistently. Or his his right side of his game is so much better than his left that he just feels comfortable going back to his left. And so, like, you know, I, I look at it that way and I'm just like, yo, I just – it feels, like I said, it feels like Boston has at some point exhausted what their options are. And I feel like the Warriors are like your, your prized fighter as the rounds get better. They're just starting to get more and more into it. They're starting to download what you want to do. They're figuring it out. And even yesterday, when Boston went on that run in the third quarter and got the lead, I just felt like, I mean, that's nice. But I just felt like the Warriors are just going to be able to do just enough to pull this game out, right? And I just, you know, and I started to get back some of that Warriors confidence that I had lost in earlier games, right? You know, Anthony and I, you talk, we and I, you and I talked about it in the Memphis series, how even when the Warriors go down by eight, you're just like, all right, that's a clay three, a Steph three, and a layup away from this game being tied. Or that's just three threes from them taking the lead. You know, and I really love that you hit on Gary Payton because I do genuinely believe he's been such a massive key in the series, if for any reason, because it's made it, – it's been imperative for them to have another person to push the break. And he just does all the little stuff, you know, last night pushing the break, last night being the runner, you know, for Draymond when Draymond wants to push, you know, when Clay's trying to conserve a little bit of energy, Gary Payne's out of there, you know, which turned into a layup for him last night, hitting down, hitting his threes, you know, uh, being a pesky defender, you know, making sure that a guy like Derek White is in purgatory. Like, we, we're, like we, I could talk about Derek White not playing well. I can also talk about the fact that Gary Payne has been deployed on the Derek White. Like mm-hmm. he's been, it's been Wiggins on Tatum, 
Clay on Jalen Brown and Gary Payton when he's in the game on Derek White. And guess what? Derek White doesn't see the basket before Gary Payton's at his hands, making him turn, you know, making, you know, you know the old saying, Anthony, when he's bringing the ball up the floor, what do you do? You make him turn. Well, you can make him turn in the half court too. And he's been doing that a lot. He's been making Derek White turn around, reset, reset. And by that point, yep. you know, you saw last night, even the good looks that Derek White had, he was missing. Why? He was completely out of rhythm. He was completely out of rhythm. You know, he, he had, he did not, he was not locked in, like in laser focused as we've seen him in some of the games leading up to this finals and even in game one. And now I'm going to get on my, I'm, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm going to go ahead and get on to my little Andrew Wiggins propaganda machine. Oh my God. I think we talked about literally everything else in the first 30 minutes of this podcast. So let's get it. You know what I'm saying? Air Canada, a man who came out of, into the NBA and was compared to Michael Jordan. Absolutely ridiculous comparisons, by the way. Shout out to shout out, shout out to NBA comps. We love them. We I personally like go back and look at previous NBA comps. Like Ben McLemore was also compared to, uh, to compared to Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think, and this is something that was a fun one. Didn't I? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's the, the the less said about that, the better. Uh, I can actually. I'm I, I'm probably gonna send you guys the NBA comparison because I kind of keep it. Yeah. Um, I, but when we, when we talk about a guy like Andrew Wiggins, I think he embodies some of what the Warriors do as an organization. He has, for every for all intents and purposes, changed his game and bought in in the places that he needs to. Andrew Wiggins was never considered a rebounder when he was in Minnesota. He was considered an awful defender whilst in Minnesota. All of these things unfortunately for himself, were also true. His time with the Warriors has been, I won't say a makeover, because I feel like the offensive aspects of his game have always been there. That turnaround 15-footer, you don't get that from two years working with the Warriors staff. That that ability to drive by Derek White and finish like that, that's the Wiggins we saw back in Minnesota. The, the, the ability to get to his shot has never been an issue. It's always been the other stuff, the intangibles, the, the, the being locked in on defense the communication, the talking, all that stuff, the rebounding, obviously. And he's bought into all of that. And it's made him so much of a better player. You know, everybody's going to talk about the 26 points that he had last night. That's cool. Andrew Wiggins is averaging like nine boards in this series. That's the more impressive part to me, is that he's bought in to that aspect of it. And we talked, and I talk, and I, and I hit on this in a couple of spaces. Uh, like I said, if you want to follow us on Twitter, Xavier underscore Trish. I'm in spaces all the time. I hit it on this in the, in the Western Conference Finals. I hit it on this in a space. The Warriors, for the large part of this series, or, or not series, but season, have deployed him as a four on mo in most games. When Draymond Green was out with substantial time missing for injury, guess who played the four? Wiggins. When Kevon Looney is out there, who's the four? Wiggins. Even when it is Draymond on the floor, Wiggins is having to is being asked to be essentially a a, a stretch four or a four, front court player. Right. Very rarely is he actually just purely a three. Right. That in and its own self has been such a, a, a wild, a, a massive part of his ability to help this team in ways that I don't think we expected to. You know, I, I said when he got traded to Golden State that he would be Iggy 2.0. And I was just being hyperbolic at the time. And I felt like that's how they would deploy him in the event that they, you know, everybody was healthy again and things of that nature. But I was just thinking about from an athleticism perspective, and I was thinking about from how they kind of came. 
right? Iggy came from a Philadelphia 76ers team where he was a dude. He was the dude for the Sixers, but they couldn't get over the hump. They could never get over the hump. He goes into a Warriors team where he where his offensive numbers are being asked to be reduced, but everything else is better. And I can sit, I can, you know, argue the same kind of point for Wiggins. And, you know, I, I just think when you look at what he's been able to do, like I said, game one, you know, five boards, game six, two, or sorry, game two, six boards, games three, seven boards, game four, 16, game last nine, game five, 13. He's gotten incrementally better on the glass. Obviously, he had a double-double against the Mavericks in that in, in, in their closeout game. Have you know has had multiple double-digit rebounding games in this uh, in this postseason as a whole. I just think that when you look at what he's doing, it should show a lot of teams around the NBA that it's about your culture and it's about your you know the people that you have around him that you know when he gets to a roster like he's w- with one right now, all of a sudden his game where we all thought, let, let's be honest, a lot of people thought Andrew Wiggins, I won't say was on bust territory, but he was up there. He, he you know, he was he wasn't an Anthony, you know, an Anthony Bennett, but he was no, definitely no, he was like, this is the dude who's you know who was supposed to be the number one overall pick, right? And I genuinely believe that the only reason why he wasn't considered a bust is because we got Anthony Bennett the next year. <laughs> you know, and I think because Anthony Bennett kind of took away some of the steam because Anthony Bennett was also drafted by the Cavaliers. So I think when you look at it, he's been able to do so much in, you know, the dirty work, doing the things that, like I said, an Iguodala would be asked to do. And, and genuinely, I, I, I genuinely can say this. If Wiggins was not in this series, I genuinely think it would have been over a long time ago. I, that's how impactful he has been. Now, I'm not going to get on to him being, uh, you know, finals MVP. That's just people who want to get Steph you know, propaganda out of here. And he just, they just don't want him to get his first and the only, only real accomplishment he's never really gotten uh, or will ever really, or, you know, he hasn't gotten in his career so far. Uh, but when I look at what Wiggins has done with this roster, it's, it's been very impressive because he's essentially doing exactly what, you know, Anthony said, Gary Payton has been asked to do, you know, but everybody for the most part thought Wiggins was done when he got traded for D'Lo every, you know, hell, even Nick Wright, Nick Wright, of all people, had to eat his crow and say that that was one of his worst takes. And as we know, Nick Wright and owning up to his BS, you know, That's not common. doesn't exist. D- does not exist in the slightest. So I, I think, you know, and, I, and I'll get off the, the wicked soapbox and we can get on the game six in just a second. But, you know, I think that, you know, he, he's done such an excellent job in pushing past the narratives that existed with him when he came from Minnesota. You know, everybody remembers Jimmy Butler walking into practice and calling them soft, saying that these dudes would never be winners, you know, all of this other stuff that up until now for everybody, for everybody that was on that roster for the most part has held true, except for now Wiggins. And, you know, obviously we'll see what Zach Levine's able to do and what Cat's able to do and yada, yada, yada. But up until this point had been held very true in the eyes of the rest of the NBA. But, Done with game five. Game five is over with. You know, we can move on to game six, which will be in Boston. Uh, Park the call in Harvard Yard. We're moving on to Boston. Let's, 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 let's get to game six. I'm going to start with Anthony. Anthony, do the Warriors close it out in game six? I think they close it out game seven, to be honest with you. The only reason I say that is because 
think I think the Celtics have or Jason Tatum or whoever. I think they have one of those games, and it's enough to push them to a game set. Um, I think I I think Clay Thompson will be a little bit better, but I don't know if he'll be game six, Clay. And I know I'm going out on the limb with that. I just I don't know. I feel like I just have a gut feeling. It'll go seven games, and they'll be more prophetic or, I guess, better for Warriors fans if they close it out at home. Um, I just don't think it's over with for the Celtics yet. I think I think they'd rather have give themselves a chance in game seven than somehow go down at home in game six. Um, that's, that's the way I'm going. Now, like I said, I could buy my words because I'm the one that said Warriors in six. But after looking from what is from the series and how things are going, I think I think it's those seven games. Andrew, I'm gonna ask you the same question. You know, matter of fact, matter of fact, I'm not gonna ask you that question. I'm gonna go. Yeah, because I know the answer. So I'm I'm gonna go ahead and allow you to kind of finish off what you think the Celtics have to improve on if they are gonna win game six, because obviously that's gonna be your prediction. I tweeted out a thread earlier mm-hmm. um, of just like several things that I really need or that the Celtics really need. I, no, you said it right the first time. I really need the Celtics to do. Go ahead. Yeah, the, I mean, that they really do need to do. Absolutely. Um, the bench has to show up. What, I, I mean, it's that simple. Whether it's Derek White, whether it's Grant Williams. I mean, uh, game seven of the East Finals will forever be the Grant Williams game to every Celtics fan. Um, it's amazing that we're having to rely, even able to say we're hoping for a Grant Williams game to save the Celtics season. But yeah, uh, Derek White also needs to show up as well because Xavier, as you mentioned earlier, he has been very pedestrian um, <laughs> in the last few games. I think that it's also just really important that they realize um, this is this could be the last game of the season for them. Um, I, I mean, they they cannot wait until the second quarter. They cannot wait until the third quarter to outscore the Warriors to really start uh, to really start playing their hardest. They need to come out and in those first six minutes. Um, I mean, I was telling this to uh, someone earlier today who's a Warriors fan, fine, not Marquise, someone else. <laughs> um, if the Celtics the Warriors win. We gotta, get Marquise, we gotta get Marquise at the pot. Oh, no, no, I, I, I told him, uh, I told him before game one, I told him before game one of the finals that he was gonna be on the pod no, no matter the yeah, result. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna need Marquise to call in from the parade or something. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Give oh. us a drunken rant from the parade while he's in San Francisco. Oh, I think I'm gonna be sick. Oh. Uh, <laughs> going back to it, um, I, I, I um. I was telling my friend who's a Warriors fan, if the Celtics don't have a 12-15 point lead at the end of the first, their season's over. Um, I really I really do think it's that simple because we have seen a team, or we have seen this team, blow some terrible leads. We have seen this team squander a lot under pressure, both at home and on the road. Um, and if they come out and they don't look good, and the Warriors do, 
they're going to be in their heads for the next three and a half quarters. And it will be very, very ugly to watch uh, for Celtics fans. Um, and the pain that would come from watching Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green especially, uh, public enemy number one in Boston right now, raise the Larry O'Brien trophy on that court. I mean, the Celtics fans will get a lot of slander for the shit that I think they are capable of doing if that happens. A lot of shit. I think the, um, that said, I really hope that they're able to close this out in seven because it's, it's, it's one of those things where you'll know, and Xavier, uh, Bill Simmons mentioned this earlier today. You don't know when they're, or he talked about the pod last night, I should say. You don't know when they're going to do this again. Because if we're being honest, if the Bucks have Chris Middleton, that series is over in six. Five if Giannis is, five if they're really good. And, I, I mean, it's, um, they, I don't want to say they had a super easy path, but it wasn't the most difficult path for sure. And I think everyone knows that. Um, and it, I mean, granted, it wasn't the toughest for the Warriors either. But at the same time, I mean, these are two teams where one has been here before. They know what they're capable of. The other, if you asked them six months ago, and I know this is a broken record at this point, but if you asked this team six months ago what their offseason looks like, they're talking about trading Jalen Brown. They're talking about uh, figuring out what's next. And now they're two games away from winning the finals or a game away from their season being over and having a season still filled with those questions. Personally, I don't think that those should be asked. I think you give it one more year because you know what they are capable of doing now. Um, I say all this to say that they have to play the best two games of the season. Um, from a collective note, because the last two games, Andrew Wiggins has played his best best basketball of the season. It's the Celtics' turn to step up. Sorry for the for the pause, but. No. Uh, 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 Stephen A. Smith just said he will take a healthy AD over Luka and uh, over Jokic, and I think the entirety of NBA Twitter is like, yep, Stephen A. Smith is lost. Well, Stephen A. Smith also went on JJ's spot and said that he's only there for entertainment. So, But I've been telling you all this for years. I've been telling you all this for years. I've been telling you all this for, since, since Skip left first take. Stephen A. Smith's sole goal has been to entertain. Yeah. The man has not. I know this. We yeah. all know this. We're ju- we're all sports journalists. We know when a guy is telling the truth yeah. and when he's just talking out of his ass. This is a conversation that I mean, we could have it, but I don't think we need to just because we all know. Right. Um. But actually, I don't think the take is all that terrible. To be perfectly honest with you, I think a healthy AD is better than Jokic. That's not yeah. that. That's an off-season one. I think I, that's. An I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I just, I think a healthy AD. There's a reason why he was on the NBA 75 list, and there was not even a question of whether or not he was on there. Yeah, I mean, the kid, healthy, was a top seven player in the. I'm just saying, we we we'll, we'll never really know because uh we don't know if AD will ever get healthy again. But that boy healthy in in New Orleans, I mean, he won All Star wow. Game MVP with the most points in All Star Game history and dominated that night in New Orleans. Yeah, 
That's make everybody from that night realize this dude is a demon. This I guy's good. They they didn't didn't they they went and beat Damon the boys and he kind of just dominated that entire series in New Orleans him and Holiday. Uh but no. Uh, just a quick aside before we finish the pod. Uh, Zach Levine has signed back with the Chicago Bulls, or is, is slated to, as reported on Bleacher Report. Um, as first reported, I believe by somebody else. Um, as we, as as uh, Andrew just alluded to, we are sports journalists, so we like to give credit to actually who actually broke it, and not who is just going to take credit for breaking it. Um, even though we haven't gotten the Woj bomb in, in it yet, but so far so good. Some some reputable people. I've said that they feel like Zach Levine is going to be re-signing as a Chicago Bull. Um, so that's great for Chicago. That's great for him. I'm assuming he's going to get that max, 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 max. Uh, so shout out to Zach for getting your paper, big dog. Uh, and uh, we can stop the whole Atlanta in uh, Atlanta Zach Levine talks. So we can move on. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think for the Warriors to win game six, uh, I think they're going to have to do what they did last night. It's going to have to be off the start. They're going to have to have like a 35-24 first quarter. You know, a 30, you know, 30-16, first first quarter. Like they had less past night, right? They've got to give themselves enough cushion for the run. And I, and that's some of what I what I saw last night. Um, and I think that that's what they're going to have to do in game six to win that game. I don't think they're going to be able to win it wire to wire where they, you know, they just come out there, blow them out, and just hang on. Or and they just, you know, and they just are able to do it that way. Boston's going to put a run. That's going to be somewhere in that that you know that 14-3, you know sixteen to six run something like that where they just you know they're hitting all their array of shots. Jason Tatum his patent his uh, patented steps or uh, sidestep three. You know Marcus Smart hitting one in the corner and talking to your moms in the front row. Like there's going to have it. There's going to be a moment where Boston because they're at home because the the fans are there are going to be are going to cook. It yep. just can't be in quarter number one. And it just can't be in quarter number four. If you had let it happen in quarters number two and three, that's fine. That's fine, right? But you can't let it happen in the first or the fourth quarter. Those have to be the best two quarters for the Warriors. Um, and if they're able to do that, they're going to win game six. My only thing, my only caveat to that is the thing about playing at home, and I said this last year when the Hawks went and played the 76ers at home, when you have such a rabid fan base that Boston is, even though they're rabid and they're crazy, they're insane, they love their team, that's great. You also don't get the delusion sometimes because they're all super basketball fans. Like, you have fans in Boston that are much more like the, oh, this game is over. They, they'll they get to that point just as fast as we'll win an NBA Finals this year because they understand the game and they can understand the way that the game feels. And if Boston walks into that into TD Garden and they play tense and they can feel it, the crowd's going to get the exact same way. The crowd's going to get tense. Every shot's going to feel like the shot that's supposed to win the NBA Finals. Every shot that doesn't hit you, and every shot that the Warriors do hit is going to feel like a shot to the chest. Like, there is something to be had about fan bases that, you know, have seen basketball success over a, over a certain duration, that those fan bases, as great as they are, also understand the game a little bit more there's some of your more delusional fan bases that, you know, maybe it's their first big run. Maybe it's their first title run. Maybe it's their first whatever. And they're just there along for the ride, right? Like we talk about all the time how 
Memphis was is this crazy fan base, but Memphis hasn't really seen that much basketball success as a fan base in their entire, you know, in, in their totality. Right. So they have a little bit more of that ability to be delusioned and, you know, just rapidly excited. And they don't care if they're down by 20. We're going to come back because, we, you know, we've never had a situation where we didn't. Right. You know, I, I think the, the best way to put it is. When you talk to a genuine fan base, ask them their top five losses. If they can't answer that question, then they haven't had enough pain. You can tell a fan base has had enough pain and that comes through in the fan base. Like, imagine game five, flip it to Boston. Flip the scene to Boston. Imagine the narrative that way. Imagine Boston missed that amount of free throws at home. Imagine Steph didn't go off in Boston and they lost again. Yeah. Now think of what the narrative is going back to Chase. That's when you know and you understand a fan base that is, 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 could very well be the – uh, a positive, but it also could be a detriment because, like I said, if players start feeling tight, well, guess what? That fan base is going to feel just as tight. And that's 20,000 plus people, you know, in agony with every jumper, every missed layup, every missed free throw, every non rebound. Like, you know, it, it'll be very reminiscent of what happened in game five with Milwaukee. So, for all the things that I think Boston will provide as far as home court advantage going into game five or going into game six. The one thing I will say is if Boston does not play like they're supposed to, it's going to – if they don't have that, that first quarter – if they have a feeling of the first quarter to what they had in game five, oh, it's that, 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 it's fan base could, that fan base could absolutely turn. And you'll see, like I said, what you saw in game seven with the Hawks and, uh, and uh, Philly last year where, you know, even though Philly was in that game the entire way, it just didn't feel like the Hawks or, or feel like Philly was ever going to be able to get over the hump, right? And it felt like the Hawks, even though they were the younger team, they were the team that didn't expect – to be in this situation or the more composed team because they had nothing to lose. And sometimes when you go in to something with nothing to lose, understanding that, you know, from the Warriors perspective, we're going to go back to Oracle or excuse me, Chase Center and, and have a game seven. Sometimes you can play a little bit more loose. Sometimes we'll see on game six. I, I think, I think Boston wins. I think we get, we get it to seven. Um, I think Boston just comes out firing on all cylinders. I think they punched them in the mouth early. And I think the Warriors decide will give y'all this game if it's an, if it's if it's out of hand, right? I don't think you see one of those like you know the, one of those pushes like we saw in game what was it game three, where the Warriors yeah, were exactly. down by like twenty, and they they made this, this this crazy push to take the lead in the third. I don't think you'll see that same sense of urgency. I think they're they're more than comfortable coming back the game to, to chase and, and playing game seven in front of their home crowd, um, even though you know the, obviously in the press conferences they're like no no. We're going to finish it in six. We want to finish it in six. We don't want to come back home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Regardless of that, as a human being, you just feel more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, but no, so thank you guys so much for listening to the, another edition of the Traveling Violation, the podcast. Like I said, my name is Xavier Trish. If you want to follow me anywhere, you can follow me at Xavier underscore Trish on uh, all social medias. If you want to follow Andrew Friedman, you can follow him at afriedman21. And if you want to tell Anthony Patterson how bad Drake's last album was, you can follow him at anfpat underscore. That's A N F P A T underscore on all social medias. Uh, I'm not gonna say no, no, no. I am not in the camp that says Donda was better than Certified Lover Boy, but it wasn't his best work. That's that. That's neither here nor there. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. And we're out. Peace. Um.